We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, guys? Andrew here with a quick programming note. The episode you're about to hear is part two of a special cap or no cap 6.0 dedicated to the NBA draft draft season, as Jeremy would call it. Um, if you're listening to this, you may have missed part one already, which was the introductory to this cap or no cap, where John and Jeremy caught up on the last week before diving into the draft and giving you a bit of an idea of how the Knicks have uh, historically drafted under this current regime, as well as a pattern that may have been created by uh, uh, what the things they look for, an offensive box plus minus. It's a good first start. The part you're about to hear dives into Walt Perrin's history of centers and the type of center that the Knicks uh, may end up taking if they take a center, uh, a center under the advisement of Walt Perrin before getting into the value of draft picks, specifically a point value of draft picks, a system created by Kevin Pelton, and talking about trading into the top five. Because a lot of Knicks fans, you guys have been hitting us with fake trades of how the Knicks can trade into the top five. And John and Jeremy go over the history, um, at least since the last 22 years, since 2001, of all the trades into the top five, what you're going to have to give up, an idea of what a trade into the top five has historically looked like. It's a good part two of four. That's right. If you're hearing this because you missed part one, it's part two of four. We have a a jam-packed episode for you. So here's part two, cap or no cap, 6.0 draft season. Enjoy. I want to talk about big men, specifically centers, because I know that there is often the idea of mocking players to the Knicks who like are Mark Williams, for example, uh, some sort of five who would be of interest. And I looked at all of the players that the Jazz 
and I guess the Knicks too, uh, have drafted since Walt Perrin started in Utah in like 2001. Um, and I, I l- let me read off the list, right? So it some, was there's some names on here. There boy. are some names, yes. <laughs> uh, but there's a common thread here. So Ennis Cantor was picked third overall. Uh, Cantor was supposed to go to Kentucky, was ruled ineligible. Uh, also taken during a time where big men, big men reigned much more supreme than they do nowadays. But he was taken third. And then there are some names, I should say. Uh, Curtis Borchardt was taken 18th. Costa Kufus was 23rd. Rudy Gobert, maybe you've heard of him, 27th. Udoka Azabuke taken 27th. Uh, if you see an asterisk in the slideshow, it's because of the fact that Walt Perrin wasn't there when Azabuke was drafted. Um, but he was in the scouting piece of scouting and yeah. led the department until he left for the Knicks job. Also of note, uh, the Knicks care a lot about offensive wind shares, not as much as the offensive box plus minus, which is why I didn't incorporate it too. But as a bouquet was really high up in the um, wind shares part. So kind of makes sense why, but Tony Bradley was taken 28th. Um, Kyrillo Fasenko was 38th, Robert Whaley 51st. And then of course, Jericho Sims was taken 58th. And, and I just want to note for anybody who may be a, a younger listener um, that only knows Ines Cantor from his uh, more recent Tom Foolery. Uh, he was Ines absolutely, freedom, I should say yes. But it was at the, and it's freedom. But at the time he was yes. drafted, it was Ines Cantor. Yeah. He could call himself whatever he wants. Uh, Ines Cantor was the chalk pick. Uh, very much so at number three. Um, yes. And there was like, that was, that was not like Walt Perrin going out on any kind of a limb there to take Cantor at three. Right. And also worth mentioning that it's not like we can't necessarily say that Walt Perrin had complete unilateral decision-making for these drafts. Right. It no, no, of course not. He had his input. And at the end of the day, um, anyone who was above him made a different decision. Maybe they made the same decision, but the one thing that you can take from this is that outside of a top three pick, all of these players were taken outside of the lottery. Yep. Most of them were taken in the very end of the first round or second round or like, you know, mid late first round. Like most of these guys are 23rd to 58th in terms of the picks they're taken. And so I think that when you look at the philosophy of how Perrin has operated, how the Knicks are prioritizing their centers. It doesn't strike me as making any sense whatsoever for why the Knicks would or should draft a center. I, I will just say like a lot of people have asked both of us about, Oh, let's, you know, sign and trade Mitch or let Mitch walk and this and that, which you can't do on draft night. Just want to throw that out there for those. Because, Oh my God, would there be, I mean, you want want to talk about investigations? There would oh. actually there wouldn't be much of an investigation because very easy to determine. <laughs> yeah. So, like again, if you're talking about a sign and trade involving a pick that hasn't been made yet before free agency is slated to begin when negotiations technically are supposed to start. Um, putting that aside, I haven't gotten into either Duran or or Williams and like digging into the tape and the whole thing. It just just doesn't pass the smell test for me. I just would be really surprised. Like the Knicks could do 18 different things on draft night or leading up to draft night. There is something about the notion of them just sitting, staying put and drafting one of those centers that just, it it would, wouldn't it just feel odd to you? It would feel out of left field. It would, unless the Knicks somehow acquired another first round pick and then did that. But based on where they are at 11 and, and you know, like, 
signing Mitchell Robinson to an extension and then dealing him. It's not going to happen. You know um, what? It, 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 it honestly it comes down. Uh, I, it's a call it a gut feeling one, but two, just like looking at the situation. It, it's fair to say, I think that center is the most important defensive position on the floor for the Knicks current head coach, who by all accounts is going to be coaching the team next year. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no rookie center. Maybe if you time time travel and go get, you know, rookie Bill Russell, uh, there's no rookie center who's going to start for Tom Thibodeau next year. So they're going to, they're going to draft a backup five at 11 after they just got a pretty good backup five at 58 last year. I just, I don't I, I announce yeah, it. Well, you don't even know this, but you've given me the perfect segue to the next slide. I uh, see. I it's it's the mind melt. Jeremy. It is. It's a hundred percent that John. So I took the time because of how much I care, and oh I my went God. through every single team's like primary starting center, and there are like twenty eight of them that really have deployed actual full time centers. But I looked at each of them, and I looked at the first year of their career when they actually were like bona fide, legitimate, unquestionable starters. And then I also looked at the pick that they were taken at um, and went from there. We just, we, I, I, well, I don't know. I shouldn't take over your presentation. I almost want to start with the first year starting column because that to me, like there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven centers that started as rookies. That are yes. currently in the league. And one of the seven is uh, Jeremiah Jer- Robinson <laughs> Earl. And that was like the most fake. Yes. I mean, like he's barely played any. They, the Thunder just not prioritizing wins like any other team. He would not be anywhere close to starting all these. No. Games. And you look at the guys who started in their first year. Dwight Howard, first overall pick. Carl Anthony Towns, first overall pick. Kristaps uh, Porzingis fourth overall pick, but like for an organization that was going nowhere fast. And like, of course they were going to start him from day one, Deandre Ayton, first overall pick. And then uh, so even if Porzingis started the four initially still like the point yeah. is that now he's transitioned to more of a five and like he was a top four. He was, he was picked fourth overall. Um, and Brooke Lopez, then, by the way, even though Brooke Lopez was, I believe the 10th pick in the draft, ninth or 10th, whatever it was, mm-hmm. he was, he was seen as one of the most polished big men coming out of school that had that had come into the league in, in some time. There was a maturity about Brooke Lopez, even as a rookie, that you don't often see. So again, that was like not a stretch to put him in the starting lineup from day one. Exactly. And then, you know, like there's someone like Joel Embiid, and I struggled with what year I say he started, right? Because it was his third season, but it was the first he was playing. So I, I said it was the third year. But that's really not. I don't know if that's the most fair thing to say because he had had zero NBA experience. Before yeah, but he starting. was seen. He, um, like, but he was a top three pick. He was. He yeah. would have gone first overall, most likely, if not yes, for any for the concerns injury. of the injuries. And I think if you even look at the guys who started in their second year, it's like Nikola Vucevic. He was taken 16th overall. Jared Allen. He was taken 22nd. Drummond. Uh, Isaiah Stewart taken was ninth. taken right. Isaiah Stewart was taken 16th, and yet if the Pistons were better. Uh, would he be starting? I'm, I'm skeptical no, I don't know. of that. So, and it's also like you can start, but are you going to be good in that year? Because it usually takes these guys like three, four seasons. If you're not a top three, four, five pick overall to a become a consistent starter and B become a consistent starter. Who's good. And when you look at the Knicks, like it took Mitchell Robinson three years 
and he unfortunately was hurt. But like the third season was the year in which he was finally viewed as the guy that they are going to start and and rally around. We should say that, like, if you're thinking back, like, wait, hold on. Mitchell Robinson was the best thing about the Knicks the year he was a rookie. Yes, because that Knicks team was the most dog shit piece of talent ever yep. assembled on a basketball court. And he, he showed flashes of brilliance. And we didn't care about the non-flashes brilliance because of what he was competing against. So like that, I, I'm not sure we should use the Mitchell Robinson should have been starting in year one, whether it's true or not. Like that's that's not... You know, whether you agree with it or you disagree with it, that is not the place the Knicks are at in the year of our Lord 2022. It is. That's correct. So it's just something to keep in mind as the Knicks consider centers and prioritize them. And you can often pluck centers if you're really looking for them um, off of the free agent market for a lot cheaper. Or at the 50th pick. Or at the 50th pick. It's rare, but it happens. Shout out to Jericho Sims. Just just really briefly, we don't need to get into a whole diatribe on the current state of the NBA, but just go think back to any playoff game you've turned on in the last month and a half. And think about the the role of centers in the game today. Like, yes, there are exceptions. Guess what? None of those guys are available at 11. The guys that are available, and I'm sure Jalen Duran and Mark Williams are going to turn out to be very nice players. and we'll have roles and like the whole thing, but these are not the players who are making the impacts for playoff teams yeah. um, this year. It's just, the that's o- not the way the league is. The only real counter to that. And it was because he had the game of his life last night is bam out of bio who was taken. Who is, I'm sorry. I'm not putting Jalen Duran and, and right. That's and, and Mark Williams and Bam's club. Look, yes. Bam fell to 13th, 14th. He was 14th, 14th. And that was an error at the time. Cause the Knicks should have taken him. Um, had a great workout. Had a, yes, reportedly a great workout. I mean, is it possible Jalen Duran develops into the kind of like playmaker, like all defense or sorry, not all defense, defense play of the year candidate that Bam is? I mean, look, anything's possible. But again, we're just kind of going on what the outline is that we could see right now. And the outline for Jalen Duran is a very like, like you said, rim running you know, shop, shop locking, you know, rim protecting, maybe there's some switchability there. Maybe not, you know, we're, we're, we're not, this is not bam. We're not looking. And the last thing I'll say in terms of bam, I don't mean this as a slight in any way towards him, but he benefits from having, I think arguably the best coach in the NBA and how he is <laughs> schemed and how he is used is a major advantage to how he plays with, you know, like if we took him and put him on another team with even an average coach, he'd look worse. Swap an average center, he's going to look better. Am I calling Bam out of bio an average center? Of course not. He's exceptionally good. Oh, no, play. he's awesome. I love But Bam. it's the sort of thing where his play, like his strengths are emboldened because he has such a great coach and yeah. his areas of development are mitigated because he has such a great coach. So just kind of an interesting way to look at the, the big men and why I just don't see them going with one at 11. I'd be shocked and I'd also kind of be annoyed, like borderline pissed if you if they took their their 11th pick overall and applied it towards a center based on how they use their centers uh, allow me to play devil's advocate for half a second even after everything i just said over the last several minutes if it was Duran, we are talking about the guy who was the number one recruit in his class uh or he was the number one ranked recruit in his class a year ago walt perrin's very good at his job if he sees Untapped potential there, in ter- whether it's playmaking, whether it's 
shooting, whether it's it's uh, versatility on defense, whatever, then like I'm happy to take Walt Perrin's um, word at it. And maybe Walt Perrin thinks that like, uh, yeah, Tom Thibodeau's coach right now and Tom Thibodeau uses, uses his centers in a certain way. But guess what? Tom Thibodeau's not going to be here for very long. Um, that's the only one where I would be like, OK, I hope you're right about this. But I I ag- agree with you. I, I would be very surprised. Yeah, it's a fair devil's advocate. And again, it's how should I phrase this? It's not that the Knicks should if they feel like a player is a superstar in the making star in the making, whatever you want to call it. Um, I understand the logic behind it but you also then need to scheme around them accordingly. And if they're not going to fit in that way and you're not going to show how they fit, then how are you treating them as a player on the court? How are you treating them as an asset and a potential trade? It's like, well, like James Booknight, right? He was yeah. taken 11th overall last year, right? Yep. What's his value right now based on not playing, but also when he was playing, maybe not maximizing his potential and showing what he can do. Oh, he's worth probably a late first right now. Right. So if that's that. kind of the thinking where it's but, it's how and yeah, other teams yeah. can can see, okay, well, we saw what the Knicks didn't see or don't see, for example, but but then if that's the case and there's another player the Knicks have and another team wants to maybe take a player like Jalen Duran and go after him, then maybe the Knicks can look into some sort of trade. But, but this gets into and I'm, I would imagine we'll probably touch on this at some point. This gets into really the biggest question about this pick, which is who is this pick for? Is this pick for the Knicks for the next 10 years? Or is this pick for the Knicks for showing the best asset for the next year or the next 18 months or the next six months? You know, it's like, and maybe there is no difference between those two things. I I don't know. But like, if you're going to take a guy like Durin and you're going to play him, what I don't, 10 minutes game or 12 minutes, whatever the hell it is over the next year, well, then you are acknowledging that the value of that selection will go down in the next 12 months. And you have to be comfortable with that. Again, that depends on what they're, what, what they're doing here, what they, want to, what they want to get out of this. And we, we can't answer that question sitting here right now. Yeah. Well, again, mind meld, because you talked about the value. And I just wanted to bring this up where uh, Kevin Pelton had a few years ago uh, he, he tweeted, here's an updated version of my draft pick trade value chart that takes into account this year's increase in salaries for first round picks. As always, note that this reflects what picks should be worth based on historical outcomes. In practice, teams pay a premium to move up. Teams pay a premium to move up. So let's quickly look at the draft pick trade value chart. Uh, the first overall pick. Again, this is a little dated by four years, but it still is the same themes that are going to exist. I also a lot of data, but I also wonder, so he's going off historical, like there is data to back this up and perhaps we should be look focusing on that data and he's smart to do so. But at the, in the back of my mind, I'm like, every draft is different, which again, everybody knows that. Yes. But if you look at, if you average things out, I know, know I know. Then you can get a better sense. So yeah. he gives four thousand picks to the first four thousand points. Four thousand yeah. points. Four thousand points. The first pick overall, and then the second has three thousand sixty. So that's a drop of nine hundred and forty points just from one to two. And again, you could look at like Kevin Durant versus Greg Oden, 
But then you could look at a lot of other drafts where the first pick was great and the second pick was not. And then the third pick was even much better than the second pick. So, um, but then the third picks, 2640, the fourth, 2420, the fifth, 20, uh, 2270. Like it keeps going down, obviously, because it's the draft. But then there's a certain point in which the drop off is almost negligible, right? And as you're saying, each draft is different. So maybe there's a, a team that, is picking, let's say 15th, and they see that they're going to get 1,400 points out of that pick. And they see the Knicks picking at 11th, and it's 1,750. And for them, it's like, well, it's not 350 points in this chart that matters to us, right? Like, we think this player is much higher than that, and we want to take a swing at it. And then they package, say, 15, and maybe it's an asset of, an, you know, whatever asset it is to get to 11, take that player. They could. But it's yeah. a matter of historically speaking as well when incorporating that. Is it worth it for them to make that move? So immediately my mind goes to um, someone, uh, Oakster, I think it was, uh, added us on Twitter with a, uh, an actually a pretty creative fig tree that we don't have to get into right now. But it was something built around basically like Randall and 11 and the Dallas pick. Uh, I think he threw Cam in there as well. But you could look at Cam as like a first round pick, I guess. This, I, I don't know. A lot of on-court evidence there, too. Um, for Harrison Barnes and number four from Sacramento, we don't have to get into the salary angle of it. But just like and even put put the players aside for a second, because you could argue that like maybe, you know, maybe the Knicks want Harrison Barnes more than Julius Randle. Um, like four for 11 and the Dallas pick. What's the Dallas pick going to be next year? I don't know. What, what's it this year? It's 26. 25, yeah, 25, 26, 27, something like that. By points, by points, that's a that's a fair trade, or it's actually a good trade for the Kings because the the Knicks are at seventeen fifty. Something in the low twenties is enough to get you over where the fourth pick gets you to, which is twenty four twenty. At the same time, I, I you know I don't think the Kings are making that trade, but who knows? Well, think about it like this. If a team had the sixth and the seventh picks in the draft yeah. and then offered it to the team that had the first pick overall. No said, team is trading down. Right. Yeah. But but I'm saying theoretically speaking here, right? Like even though it's 4,200, you know, 4,280 versus 4,000, right? The team with the first picks say, no, we're going to stay with our 4,000 because yeah. in the NBA, unlike a lot of other sports, especially football, um, Quality is greater than quantity more often than not. It is in this. And that's why one of the interesting things about this draft in particular, um, I, I don't think anybody th thinks the Knicks are going to trade into the top three. Maybe you don't think the Knicks, but I think there, there will be, there will be talk and rumors and things starting about, about number four and potentially with like number seven. And like, where does, where does the drop off begin? one of the big questions yeah it is we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never-ending, whether it's producing this show, hosting my own show final review, preparing a proposal in Long Beach, doing my taxes, or whatever else. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals, and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar, Yukon mash, and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time non-existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressure juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 and use promo code filmschool120 and get $120 off. That's code filmschool120 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 for $120 off. Let's talk about trading into the top five. I love this stuff. I love looking at history. Yeah. I looked at dating back 2001 again. Walt Perrin. I figured that would be a good benchmark. So there are six examples of trading in to the top five for teams that didn't have a top five pick to begin with. Okay. Uh, so as, well, I guess seven examples over six years. So as yeah. one, there were two. Uh, it was the second pick overall and Brian Skinner for Elton Brand. The second pick was Tyson Chandler. 
then it was the third pick, which was Pau Gasol, Brevin Knight, and Lorenzo Wright. May he rest in peace for Sharif Abdul Rahim and the 27th pick. Can we go back and talk about these after you go through them? Uh, I, I just wanted to go. Let's go year by yeah, year. Let, let's talk about these two picks. Uh, the, these two uh, things. Yeah. Who do you think it was worth it for the most? So Brand... Brand so, was good. Brand was a very Brand good player. Brand was really good. He was like, when that trade happened, he was viewed as a player who was going to make multiple all-star teams, which I think is what he, we could say that, right? Didn't he make two? Yeah. I think he made two. I, I think his career would probably underwhelmed based on what, because he was like, I mean, he was just, you write it down, 20 and 10 every night um, for a Bulls team that was not good. So like, I think they made that trick with kind of trade with, with kind of like a restart in mind. Like, you know, maybe we're getting the better player, maybe not, but like we're, we're, we're really leaning into all the high schoolers. Cause that was the same draft that they took Curry with their own pick. So, and then Abdur Rahim, like people don't remember how good Abdur Rahim was. And he actually made an all-star team with that first year with the Hawks. Like those guys were good. They were really good players and, and kind of young too. Well, brand was very young. Abdur Rahim was like, was maybe 25, 26, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the third pick being Pau Gasol was then traded to the Lakers. So it's not like the Grizzlies even benefited as much. They had their moment. You know, they, they still yeah. obviously had the grit and grind era. But that was so those were the two picks, the two trades that were done in 2001. Uh, 2004 was the fifth pick, which I want to say was Devin Harris. That was uh, Devin Harris. Yeah. And Christian Leitner and Jerry Stackhouse for Anton Jameson and Cash. The thing to keep in mind for these is like, there were there were good players that were being involved here, right? With Jerry Stackhouse and Anton Jameson. Um, and then you've Stack, the fifth pick overall. Stackhouse is a little... Wasn't the, yeah. the the bloom was off the rose on uh, what the guy who was at one point almost the league's leading scorer for one for one glorious season in Detroit, yes. um, Antoine Jameson, another one of those guys. Like I think, again, I'm going off the top of my head. Did he make an All Star team? Did he make two All Star teams? I mean, he scored like close to twenty thousand points as a pro. I mean, he was a, a good pro. He's a very solid, like twenty fifth to thirty fifth best player in the league type of guy. Yeah. Um, two thousand five. This was the third pick for the sixth pick, the 27th pick, and a future first. This is an interesting one. Yes, it is. This was the Darren Williams trade who went to Utah, who is who, who employed Walt Perrin. Yeah. Um, and and Portland got the rights to, um, oh, my Mark, God, I'm going to remember. Webster got, was taken sixth. I was going to say the high schooler who was yes. all he was. Oh, my God. If you want to if you want to go back and relive some hype, go read. I think it was a Sports Illustrated story on Martel Webster. Oh, my God. Hype coming out the wazoo. Yeah. The future first didn't really. I think it was a late what, 20s pick. It, it was not a good pick. Right. It, it, so yeah. I think it's safe to say that the Jazz won this trade. Yes, handily. It went off the rails later, but they still, it was worth it. But that was one of those where, but but again, it was like, there was a lot, I mean, again, a different type of thing than like a brand or an Abdul Rahim or, or Antoine Jameson, but there was a lot of buzz about, about, um, about Webster in his own yeah. right. It was just, it was a different direction and the jazz were clearly going more of the sure thing. Yes. Uh, 2007. The fifth pick, which was Jeff Green, uh, Wally Zerbiak, Delonte West, and a future second for Ray Allen and the 35th pick, which became big baby Glenn Davis. I think we know which team 
won this trade. It was the Boston Celtics who traded for a star and and they won a championship because championship. of it. That trade, though, I felt like at the time we knew exactly what it was. You knew obviously where both teams were doing it. The Thunder were, or, excuse me, the Sonics um, were, in, were in a different stage, right? Did they, I, they, who, they had Durant, right? I think uh, they, they, they did. Yep. Yeah, they had Durant. I think, I think they had, I think they had Russ. I might, I might be wrong about that. that. Doesn't- not a test an eight. Well, they were yes. they were restarting. Like the Sonics had gone as far as they could go, or as far as Ray Allen could have taken them. They were gonna trade Ray Allen and like they got the fifth pick in the draft for Ray Allen. Like, yes, the pick was Jeff Green, but I think that trade was more like, hey, we have someone here who really, really wants Ray Allen, which the Celtics clearly did, and we ended up finding out why when they when they later traded for Garnett. So like that trade made that trade made sense. But again, Ray Allen. Incredible. It made sense, but also based on the fact that the Thunder, well, the Sonics at the time wanted to essentially tank before tanking was really tanking. Like yes, this yes, yes, enabled yes, yes, yes. them to then get Russ and James Harden and yes. Serge Ibaka. With Ray Allen still on the roster, they would have been picking it, lower, which when would have impacted their ceiling and their assets and all. It was a trade that served many masters. Yes. Exactly. 2009, you have the fifth pick overall, which was Ricky Rubio, uh, Etan Thomas, Darius Songaila, Alexi Petrov for Randy Foy and Mike Miller. Former rookie of the year, Mike Miller, to you, sir. Yes, that's that's <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. Yes. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. Number fifth pick, notably not used on Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Nor was the sixth pick. Nor was the was sixth Johnny pick. Flynn. Shout out Johnny but Davis. This kind of didn't. I mean, not Johnny worked. Davis. Johnny. Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn. My guess. Forty and slip. Yeah, I'd say overall this worked for the Timberwolves, but it didn't work a whole lot well. Um, I mean, Rubio I mean, was was good for them, but it was just. Yeah, but the Wiz also were able to be so bad that then they got John Wall. So again, I, that's kind of helped I, them too, but I, 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 think I don't think they would have made this trade again if they could have. This was the, of the, of all of these trades that, that were, that we're talking about here. Um, I think this was the trade that made the least by far the least yeah. sense with the, probably the Jameson for um, Devin Harris one being the runner up. I think this was the trade that made the least sense on its face when you're like, wait a minute. They're, they're trading the fifth pick in the draft for Randy Foy and Mike Miller. Like, yeah, it's a talent upgrade today. But would you compare Foy and Miller to like the players that we're talking about? Brand, Abdurrahim, Jameson, um, Ray Allen. Like, it's not, not really of the caliber what, what you'd usually expect to get for a, a top five pick. Right. And then finally, you have 2019. You have the fourth pick overall, which was DeAndre Hunter. The 57th pick, which... Uh, it was a 57th pick. It wasn't a Jericho Sims type situation. Uh, his, his name. It's not a, it's not, not sorry, a notable player. Whoever was draft 57th. You're not as notable. Uh, Solomon Hill for the eighth pick, which was Jackson Hayes, the 17th pick, which was uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker, a future second and a future protected first round pick, which I believe has already turned into two seconds yes. for, for the uh, Cavs seconds. I yes. believe. Yeah. So, I mean, this, uh, it's probably better for the Hawks. Uh, I mean, 
it's not like a needle mover for either of these teams. You know what the straight's gonna we're gonna look back on this in 10 years and be like, okay. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> Shrug. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, I want to pause here for a moment because there are two important factors I think need to be incorporated here. Number one, the reason why this pick was even available was because the Pelicans had the first overall pick. And who did they draft? Zion Williamson. And and what happened was, not I think, what happened was that the Pelicans then wanted to add more depth and found that they could do a better job of doing that by trading down and taking the quantity as opposed to the quality. Hindsight is always going to be 2020, but there were plenty of good players on the board especially one who went fifth overall and Darius Garland, who could have been taken with the fourth pick. That's the first one that the, the luxury of having two top five picks allowed them to trade the lesser of the two. The second one, look at the dates between the Ricky Rubio trade and the Deandre Hunter trade 2009 to 2019. That means that outside of 2019, we have had, well, I guess we've really had one trade, Featuring someone going out of the top five into the top five since the year 2009. It just goes to show that there is a huge emphasis on draft picks. One that I believe the Sixers did a phenomenal job of exploiting. And then when the NBA felt that they were finally getting ripped off, that they realized how important their picks are. And they have since like kind of tighten their belts and they have been much more cautious about dealing that talent. I, uh, um, I understand why you started with 2001, but if you could go back a couple of years before, you know, late nineties, um, it gets even worse. The, the point is there were some teams that were just like willy nilly. With candy. top five, yeah, it was. It really was candy, and not candy, not uh, Olo candy, <laughs> uh, candy. No, but see, that's the thing. As I think, may, you know, maybe I don't. You know, look, again, this is a subject for a different podcast. Was it that teams just felt it was more of a crapshoot, and they, you know, they didn't devote the resources to this stuff? Was it like, you know, GMs, GM, as you always talk about, uh, GMs with jobs on the line are going to make. Uh, self-serving interests like, Hey, we could get a better player today. That could help us win. Now that's going to help me keep my job for longer. And maybe it's the fact that um, media is much like fans. Like there's a lot more, like everything is like more out there now. Yeah. If now if a GM makes us a, a trade of like a top five pick for a, a player, that's like not particularly good. It's going to be like, Oh my God, this person should be fired. Um, that wasn't really, I mean, it, that, Sentiment certainly existed in some corners of whatever version of the internet existed in the early 2000s, but like it was not like it is today. Whatever it is, things have changed. Yeah. And I think two of the biggest factors by far have to be the analytics, just what goes into the data and uh, the international talent. It just wasn't as developed or it wasn't as um, the the emphasis for scouting wasn't there. So those two things completely changed the game. And now there's a higher possession of picks because if you take calculated shots, then they could hit and it actually makes your life a lot easier. And I, and again, Darius Garland was the fifth pick in 2019, but like 
there we really should have several asterisks on that 2019 trade because of what you talked about. Again, it, it, like for anybody who doesn't remember three years ago, there was such a big drop off after RJ. Like, yes, there was also considered a kind of a drop off after job, but there's definitely a, a drop off after RJ. And so like eight to four and there's like other stuff and there's a salary dump too, with obviously Solomon Hill. So like, it just, it really doesn't happen that much anymore. If, if Garland doesn't get hurt, his college, his loan. That's an interesting Vanderbilt, one. That's an interesting I, one. We probably look at it more as a top four and then a yeah, drop off, maybe. but he didn't. And the Pelicans chose to go another direction and the Cavs certainly benefited. So, but that's the, the mindset of the top five and why, and I know we'll go into this in a moment, but there is a big emphasis on trading into the top five. Just want to set the stage with that, right? But here's a quick look at the idea of trading up. You know, these are the 10 teams ahead of the Knicks. It's the Orlando Magic, Oklahoma City Thunder, Houston Rockets, Sacramento Kings, Detroit Pistons, Indiana Pacers, almost said Indiana Jones, uh, Portland Trailblazers, <laughs> the New Orleans Pelicans, <laughs> San Antonio Spurs, and the Washington Wizards, right? So three things to remember. Number one, you have to give to get. If we're talking about how difficult it is to get up into this other range that the Knicks were not able to do with the lottery, you have to pay a hefty price to do it. Um, hop, skip, and a jump. Like If you go back to the previous example, it was 4 to 8. It wasn't 4 to 11. Mm -hmm. So what it tells me, and should tell all of us, is that if the Knicks are able to make moves, that it is likely going to be going into another range and then going from that to the top five. Can I... And the last I, thing, yes. And the last thing just quickly is yeah. again, uh, party like it's 2005. That was the year that we saw a team go from three to six. Um, and that was again, like very, or I guess just say going from, uh, well, I don't know if it's fair to say, if you go back for a second, um, this is what it is. It's the first year where it's like, you don't have to consider previous players that are of significance, right? Like you had Ray Allen. Uh, yeah, as a star. I got you. Um, the, again, this has a nine trade. It was just a bunch of players. It wasn't just like, hey, let's do picks for a pick. It was a little bit more convoluted than that. And I know we're going to talk about a team where it might be back in the convoluted angle. But in order for it to just kind of be like, hey, let's let's trade up, it has to be more than that. So that's why it's better to be closer to that range than not. The only thing I'll say here, and again, I have not, I want to full disclosure, I have not dove really, really deep on this draft yet. I've started to do deep dives on some individual guys, and I like, I've read, you know, everything that's been out there from Wasserman, from uh, Sam Vicini. Shout out uh, to Sam, just appeared on, on draft class a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, you know, like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable being like, these are my tiers of this draft. That said, and I'll I'll rely on Sam here specifically, who writes for the Athletic, does a great job for them. Um, he's put it out there, and I've seen this kind of in some other places that there is a there's the top tier, which is whether it's three, four, five, if you want to put sharp kind of in there, you know, kind of Ivy seems to be the border, and then it feels like the Knicks are right above the border of that next tier. Now, again, this there's nuance involved with all this stuff. Like is Keegan Murray kind of in like that, you know, middle, like, uh, like an Oreo cookie, like that, the juicy middle, like with sharp and like Ivy um, also known as the cream. 
Thank you for that. Cap rules everything around me. New I love it. Wednesday. Go on. <laughs> I love it. You're the best. Um, the point is, the Knicks at 11, it, it may be a Again, this is glass overflowing, right? With optimism. It may be a slightly better pick than typically, at least when compared to, you know, maybe a sixth pick or a seventh pick or an eighth pick. And compared to the fourth pick, different story. Again, we'll get to that. Um, and then the other thing in, in terms of like, like you say, party like it's 2005. I forget if that pick the next year was protected or not i i don't think it was protected but whether even whether it was or whether whether it wasn't pick protections have become just like it's standard like you, you unless you're trading for a star that you are superstar that you think is going to win you a championship you're protecting a pick out you know for to make sure you it, it cannot like come back to haunt you in the way that some of these picks have have come back to to haunt some of these gms who have traded them away so I guess just thinking about that 2005 trade, like if the Knicks were going to be like, okay, 11 and uh, our pick next year, unprotected. Like that's a trade that a GM might've done in 2002 or like the nineties or something. The Knicks are not going to do that. And because they're not going to do that, because like, you know, Leon Rose is going to lose his job potentially if things go bad. Um, then they're going to put protections on it, except they're not going to put protections on it because then you get that much further into the future and it encumbers what other picks you could trade. And then you run into all these other sorts of issues. So before you know it, it really does become difficult to put together a package that is going to be both safe for you in all of your interests and enticing enough for the party that you're trading with. Yeah. You know, I've seen folks before, talk about the Hornets pick, the 2023 Mavs pick, the idea of like how the Knicks could have possibly let those picks be protected. And again, I think for the Hornets pick, even though it's kind of moot because it's now traded for Cam Reddish, where it was like, yeah, the Knicks were comfortable with it not occurring this year, even though I'm sure they would have liked to have it unprotected. And if it did come to fruition, they could have used it in some manner, but like in consolidation, moving up. But at the same time, for the Hornets, it's like, well, why are we giving you a pick when we have no insurance on our own hand? No. Same with the Mavs. Like, uh, look at look at what the Bulls did. They had to send out protected picks, and it has still affected everything that they're able to do because with Vucevic and with Demar Derozan. But it's still standard practice. That's just how teams protect themselves. It's it's literally a protected pick. So yeah, it's just the nature of the game where teams are much more um, careful in terms of how they are dealing with these uh, with these players or these with these draft picks. <laughs> <laughs>